for whatever reason, it's the nostalgic part to me is like there's two different characters. There's like Arnold that I grew up with, and then there's the post govern governator Arnold. And it's not saying that I dislike who Arnold is. I mean, he's 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 a legend, right? So you know, I saw the new documentary about him on Netflix, the three part documentary, and all that kind of stuff. And I appreciate his hard work over all these years. It's just that for me, you know, I'm trying to bring to life like that that part of my childhood. Welcome back to the Ghost Cult Magazine show. <laughs> this time I'm your host, OJ. And here we are with Tim Lambesis of Austrian Death Machine. How are you doing, Tim? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, happy to have you, man. I've been very excited for this uh, Quad Brutal. It's the fourth record, and I've been a fan since album one. These are really fun because at one point when I was playing in bands like 10, 15 years ago, we were toying with the idea of doing this type of project. And then lo and behold, it's like, oh, that's already done. Like somebody put out this record. So it's like, you beat me to the point. So I've always listened to it. And I was like, damn, it's good. So I can't be mad at it. Well, you know, if, if you were to pursue it in the future, I wouldn't be offended because I feel like this belongs as its own genre. I feel like there could be a an action movie inspired, uh, you know, night. 80s, 90s. I don't know. I have that sense of nostalgia because I grew up watching all this stuff, you know. So that's where it came from for me. Yeah, I was like, oh, like maybe we'll hit Stallone next. Stallone has a bunch of good movies. You know, I recently found out, and I mean very recently, as in like a week ago, found out a band about a band called um, Coffin Feeder. That's like mm-hmm. very uh, extreme oriented, sort of like Austrian Death Machine, but they have some songs about like RoboCop and uh, you know some some Stallone inspired stuff. So maybe it'll slowly become a genre. Yeah, I believe there was, I can't remember the name, I think uh, one of these Boston bands, one of these Boston hardcore bands, I think they did a whole record on Tom Cruise. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Bleed uh, something. Uh, uh, Barrier Dead did a bunch yeah. of uh, yes. uh, crossover stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was like a little more subtle, though. So I feel like, because uh, if you didn't know, then you might not like, like, you know, it wasn't like cartoony or anything. It was like the song still sounded serious and heavy. So uh, as a note to those guys, because I know them or do something like that again be less subtle <laughs> we'll see if they ever uh do anything i know they've had their own issues over there but yeah, you yeah. never know everybody comes back at some point so i gotta say you know like loving the new record heard it a bunch i was a little disappointed because i was kind of hoping to hear uh what you thought you know your versions of his later day movies like last stand or or sabotage but i just realized you just kind of stuck more to the pre-governor movies yeah you know for whatever reason it's the nostalgic part to me is like this there's two different characters there's like arnold that i grew up with and then there's the post govern governator arnold and it's not saying that i dislike who arnold is i mean he's 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 a legend right so you know i saw the new documentary about him on netflix the three-part documentary and all that kind of stuff uh and i appreciate his hard work over all these years it's just that for me you know i'm trying to bring to life like that that part of my childhood i get that I was just, but the part of me was just like, oh man, I wonder what he would do with Sabotage, because that was a good movie. I enjoyed that movie a lot. It's yeah, not yeah, as crazy you... over the top like the older ones, but this was just a cool, more, just more, ooh, this is a little darker in certain spots. Yeah, for sure. And I think with the darker ones, like, um, it's just because the, there's this like slightly cheesy thing where he does the one-liners and like, they know it's going to be cheesy and he just does it anyway, you know? And then uh, I feel like the darker, more serious the movie is, 
the less likely that there's going to be that recognizable line. Or, or if even if there is a great line like that, the fans wouldn't recognize it. So it's like a really tough – puts me in a tough spot where some of the stuff I really enjoy, I just can't pull content from. I get you on that one. I get you. I'm sure you've you've checked out his new book, Be Useful, by now. I, I haven't actually read it or anything. I, I, I just watched the, the – net not just, but I recently watched the Netflix documentary. And then – which is crazy. In his late 70s, he's – acting in that uh tv show foobar i don't know if you saw that yes i saw part uh, of it i haven't finished and that, that, that's interesting to me because like i sometimes forget that my dad and arnold are like the same age my, my dad's actually in great health by the way but uh but it's just like man like he he can sincerely play like an active you know government agent at, at his age you know and, and nobody thinks twice about it that's pretty wild yeah i'm a big i think the the key to everything is just uh stay you know just maintaining it's like a car we're like our bodies are like cars and it's like you just gotta make sure that check engine like comes on you gotta go take care of it right away and it's like just basic maintenance you can keep your body like i work in production so like it's always lifting like i'm a little bit older than some people in my than my crew but i'm like oh wow your knees are still good yeah you know like just people just be able to bend down to pick something up without grunting You know, it's like take care of your back and take care of your knees. Those are the best two things you could do for anything. Well, as, as naturally, I like am interested in the fitness stuff as, as relates to Arnold, but then just for my own personal health. And a lot of the recent studies, um, these are guys saying that the most important time in your life actually to do resistance training is after 60, which is crazy because, you know, when I was a kid, when people retired, they just like they retired, they just went home, they stopped being physical. And all these guys are saying now that like the most important time for resistance training, because it like tells your bones and, and all your joints to get stronger is to, to actually give your body challenges, you know? So I, I called my grandma up after I saw, I saw that study. I said, I know you're 90, but you're still supposed to be lifting stuff. So. Yeah. I guess it's, it's easier to lose muscle and everything the older you get, like the yeah. more active you are, you're fine. But when you have some downtime, like I used to work at a circus, I was very, I lost a ton of weight. I was fairly fit for me. And then when I got out of it, like a year later, I was like, wait, I went up like two pant sizes. And it's like, I can't get back down to that specific weight because we were like do two shows, go to the gym in between a day, every day, you know. So it was it was good times back in the day. Yeah, I don't know if uh, I don't know your age, but like some of the stresses that I put my body through, like, you know, go going working out for an hour and a half and go on stage for an hour and a half and, you know, sleeping in a van and only being there for four, you know, four hours of sleep and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know if I could. uh the cortisol levels in my body. I don't think that I could, I could survive that. You know, <laughs> I'm just 45, you know, black don't crack. I'm a mortal. Yeah. Good for you, man. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, speaking of the weights and everything, man, that don't be lazy song. I loved it. That video was hilarious. And it really, it's true. Like I see people rack re-rack it, but I'm kind of like OCD a little bit. Like I hate when they re-rack the weights in the wrong weight. Oh yeah, it's I like, just put it twenty fives with the thirties with the thirties. Don't have me going over here. I hate that crisscrossing stuff. Yeah. If it's a a big guy, like an actual big guy in the gym, I don't feel uncomfortable going up to the guy and being like, "Hey, man, like somebody much weaker than you is going to use this next. Like you, like you're being, you know, you're being really selfish right now. You know what I mean? I'll just, I'll just call him out because because he, he's kind of the jerk if he comes at me weird. But like sometimes I can't go tell people to re-rack their weights because like if I'm the big guy in the gym and I don't necessarily, people don't know me and they don't think I'm friendly. I am, I'm very friendly, but I go up to somebody and I'm like, Hey man, you need to re-rack your weights. You know, he thinks that like I'm confrontational or mean or something. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's a, it's kind of a, it's a weird situation, but uh, I, I do know that uh, as general etiquette, I've literally seen like 
grandma like age people go and try to use a machine after some big bodybuilder and just struggling to unrack those weights before they can even start their workout and it like makes me sad you know yeah i get that and it's like like do i help or not help it's like uh i'll wait for you to ask i can't offer it because now i'm an asshole if i'm offering to help you uh that's that's a weird world we live in you know it's like like uh i did there was a a like normal age you know like like in her 30s and there was a bunch of weight left and i said hey you want me to help you re-rack, uh, unrack that and she like looked at me like what are you like what are you sexist like you don't think i can handle this and i was like okay sorry and uh, so you know sometimes you just get yourself in trouble just trying to be nice yeah so let me start off with the music videos man i was like mason wright did a hell of a job with your videos man like what made you want to work with him you know basically for almost all these videos well um i, I think it's like a pretty well-known secret at this point that shooting like two or three videos back to back is always going to be more financially uh you know responsible than like you know spreading it out over multiple weekends and all the travel involved but with austrian death machine the guys all come from different places so um yeah i just wanted to get everybody in one city for one weekend and just knock them out and uh mason um mason had all the resources to do that and on, on top of that you know like we we can't uh we can't argue with it with like the work that he's done you know he's shown us some incredible stuff from his previous projects and so we were just we just put our trust in, in him and uh he did a diverse pretty diverse like outcome of videos yeah i i thought they all were enjoyable and uh one just dropped yesterday which name i'm like totally forgetting right now <laughs> oh yeah, no. yeah judgment day was a funny one because we actually we spent we literally ran out of money we literally spent our budget on all these different things and we we didn't technically have a budget for one more video and i went to mason i said hey dude like i know that we we spent all of our money, but like, we're all here. Like, and I got this idea. I just want to keep marching forward no matter what happens behind me. And then you throw whatever you want on that green screen and just make it look like the craziest, like end of the world experience. Um, and it, so it's the actual shooting part took us like two hours, you know, cause we all just like March. I said, the theme is we're just marching forward. No matter what happens, we're just going to keep pushing forward, you know? And so uh, it was fun. I actually didn't see the final edit of that video until hours before it went onto YouTube. <laughs> like your march was great your i loved it. it was it was hilarious i can't lie it was it's it's it reminded it still reminded me of the earlier albums it still had the same like level of sense of humor it's like it's serious but it's not serious but you know in a certain way like just tone wise like it sounds more adulter but you know like the, it's, it sounds fun but like a, it's in a it's an older person's uh humor versus a younger person's humor i guess is the right way to say it well i think part of it is that musically speaking like you know um i'm not saying that i'm i'm some genius by any means but I, i've learned a little more complexities over the years just naturally playing music for so long right and so as the music itself feels a little bit more mature then it's harder to like be so blatantly slapstick about the humor all the time because it's like well the music sounds like super heavy and serious but then we're trying to have fun here and so i feel like that that combination for me creates like a cool little like push and pull it's like it's still thrashy like i enjoy like the thrashy fun part it, was, it seems a little i don't want to say like a death quarry but it's got some really you're brutal this record gets heavy you know because i was a big fan of triple brutal like to me sonically like to me sonically triple brutal for that year and probably for a good couple years later that was like my favorite that was my favorite mixed record i was like the bass on that record just alone it was like ooh, this is just that's just uh, to me that's a sonic masterpiece for, one of my top mixed records period yeah you know, I, you're very good you're very like <laughs> you're very good at like and you did a lot of the the recordings and the engineering 
And that's really impressive. What made you decide to take on that role? Well, part of like the the like solo project mentality behind Austrian Death Machine is just like, hey, I, the less people I have involved, the easier it is to just, if I have an idea to just execute it from start to finish and not have this, you know, big, you know, all this red tape to get through, right? Like, like extra band members and managers and, you know, all these types of like record labels. I, I, I only work with a record label that's like, hey, you can do what you want to do. And so anyway, having a hand in the production sort of gives me the maximum amount of freedom. But it's funny you mentioned the triple brutal uh, bass, the bass guitar in particular. I actually, with all the modern technologies, I kind of want to go back and like profile that and and because um, I have all the original sessions and stuff. Because I, for the life of me, that kind of weird pingy growl that's on that bass, I I can't I can't get that. I can't recreate it. So I might have to just go back and and profile it with all the new technology that's out there. It's so crazy versus like from your first recording to now. It's like you know I remember recording stuff to like two inch tape, you know, and then it went to dat tape, and now everything you just plug your just plug into this laptop. Pick your amp. Yeah. You're halfway there. Like I do drums, so it's like I don't think it's 100 percent there yet for drums, but it's damn, it's pretty damn close. Yeah, and it used to be back in the day. It was like you hear a band that didn't have a great recording. You're like, oh, you know, they just they just didn't have the resources, right? They might not have had the, you know, the access to like a really big, nice drum room or or really crazy boutique guitar amps or whatever. And now, if a record sounds bad, it's just because the person working behind the record just didn't have good enough knowledge of recording or maybe the ears the ears and years of experience to be able to pull it off because technically speaking the average person can spend about two thousand dollars and have enough equipment to pull off you know everything that like world-class records are being made with and that's a pretty wild world that we live in it's funny how how good is your laptop all right you're <laughs> that's that's pretty much how much ram do you need <laughs> yeah but now the ba bands have no more excuses now it's like well why don't your guitars sound good it's like well you or the engineer or just you didn't have enough experience and this isn't like to give people a hard time by any means it just means that you know um the biggest hurdle now is like sitting down watching youtube tutorials and like learning the intricacies of our industry that's the hold back not necessarily the financial uh you know investment anymore yeah now for you is it since you wrote all the music is it hard for you to uh separate writing this for say austria uh say you know Azalea dying or when you were doing Parithion, was it like you had like a third project? I remember way back when, like yeah, yeah. So like with Parithian as an example, I I tend, I mean I I've tried to help, uh, but I I tend to want that to come from another guitar player's mind. So like part of the idea there is that while I may help produce that music, um, it's specifically not my guitar playing, and that's kind of what's partly what's cool about Parithian. And then by contrast, like Austrian Machine and As I Dying, there's this weird like oh man, like some of that stuff could cross over, but the real um the real definitive marker there is like if phil and i wrote it together then it's as i lay dying and if i wrote it completely by myself then there's a really good chance that phil's not going to want to get on board with it as much because it doesn't have his stamp also and that, that that's you know good there's good and bad about that i mean that's the nature of like being an artist and collaborating right is it sometimes you have a great idea but it doesn't represent both minds and so it, it has to go somewhere else and i think that's part of the the diversity of the Austrian Death Machine record this time around is that I did actually write some of those songs thinking like, oh, this could potentially, you know, these these could be some potentially cool as the dying riffs. And then as I got further into the process and working with Phil, um, it just was like, well, you know, like now it now it's starting to separate as as uh, Phil and I wrote the as the dying record. So yeah, it's more collaborative versus like you can just sit at home and just do, not say you can do this by yourself at home, but when you're writing this stuff, is it like 
you set up a drum machine first or you just like oh, i got a riff here. let me just work off this idea well i know because like uh, yourself as, as a drummer so and i and i uh have some friends that are incredible drummers and i say okay i'm going to program the drums how i feel the general energy is where the snare count would be where the like most important accents or maybe like um some of the transitions like how i picture the transition but by no means do i feel like i have mastered the drum kit the way you know because for me, like, I, I don't think about, like, right and left-hand crossover, so sometimes it'll be, like, it's literally impossible. Like, how could you get your right hand here while you're left, you know? So I'll do some weird stuff, but it's, like, I don't have to worry about that because Brandon, um, Brandon, who's playing with me now in Austrian Death Machine, this is the first record where um, I, like, didn't finish everything. I purposely, like, left it 90% there and sent it to him and had him then go and, and replay it all, and, and he played it the way that he would play it. And uh, so it's it's weird, like, conceptually it's my drums but the actual execution is a real drummer yeah a lot of guitarists forget that you know hey that somebody's got to play that it may sound good on <laughs> you know like slow it down a little bit or just it, it's like this isn't getting into the prog world like you're you're doing too much here yeah the good step back with brandon he came from that deathcore background where he got really into like the technical super fast stuff for a while like you the, could hear it yeah, the crazy gravity blasts and uh, he loves going fast with his feet and he worked his butt off to be able to get his double kicks up to like 280 bpm at 16th notes and it's like well he works really hard to do that so i gotta write some songs now that where he gets to show off and then you know of course he's got to go play it live so uh you know he's got to make sure that he's not he's not doing something on the record that he can't do live so it really created a cool push and pull of like a challenge and most of the time brandon was his criticisms of my my writing were actually like i want it to be more difficult than that like i want it to be more difficult than the way you programmed it because that's boring for me you know so uh i'm accommodating sort of like a of a, a, a speed demon so to speak you know in terms of like his personal interest in playing drums like i programmed like some songs for myself and it's like, all right cool it's like i program like a step above my current ability it's like all right let me just play a little bit because if i make it too easy you're you're too it's it's too easy it's not a challenge, but you're definitely right. So I was like, let me put a little something here that I normally wouldn't do. And it's like, now I got to learn how to play this part. Yeah, you know, yeah. It keeps it exciting in that in that sense. The best way I can relate is I I always, I do this in Asla Dying, I do this in Austria Death Machine. I always, not the entire riff or anything, but I'll add little tail ends or little things that are above my, my playing level. And the benefit for me though, is that like in the end, another musician's got that problem. Whereas like, you know, like say you write one of your own drum parts and it's a little bit a little bit beyond like your your ability and then you have to just rise to the challenge well like in my my case like i'll go in and i'll I'll write a guitar riff and i'll punch in these crazy tail ends that i could barely play at all but i don't have to go on stage and play them live so it's like i'm making it somebody else's problem and then the, and then the guitar player is like hating me saying dude like like you know like i have to spend like three months rehearsing these songs because you made them like so difficult you know so yeah I gotta say this record just overall this record there was it was more melodic than i was expecting it to be you know i was yeah, like it, it's interesting but i think when you listen to the record as a whole this at least my takeaway is that in one sense it's like more melodic than it's ever been in the other sense because there's like some of those like death corey death metally influences it's also it's also the heaviest it's ever been at the same time yeah i have to agree with that because it's like and then like i say the, the melody in there the 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 melody part those things are catchy and hooky as those are some those are some great hooks like vocally lyrically you know riff wise it's all like oh that's really really catchy man i was like i can't i can't be mad at it it's like oh it's like all right it's a little more singing but like all right it's got a great 
it flows great. I, it's like you want to be like this, be like I'm the stoic person, like oh man, it, it didn't compete to the last record, it doesn't stand up next to it. But like, all right, it does. Like I said, it just feels like just the. I think it's just the adult humor. Like you wrote that when you were like in your late twenties, and now like you're probably not in your late twenties anymore. And it's so like your humor is a little different, and your musicality has changed. So it's a, it's a banger. I gotta say. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And 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 actually, what's weird is that making this record and the diversity of it sort of inspires me like when i when i do because i've done like christmas releases in the past to want to go back and like really strip it down for like some really thrash oriented christmas songs this coming holiday or something like that because then it's like the nice contrast once once you push into like these more elaborate uh melodies on the guitar or even vocally and stuff like that it's like well i don't want to keep pushing too far in that direction i want to sometimes be able to do the opposite and pull it back and and go back to the roots a little bit so yeah i'll find my balance you know it's every record is a little chance to to push the boundaries yeah does this make you want to go and produce other bands more now? Or is it just like, I'm just keep my own little bubble of my own projects. Um, it depends. Cause I'm, I'm interested in, so here's the best way I can describe it. Like when I'm on tour with as a dying, it's like, you know, there's 10, sometimes more like 12 people in a bus. We're all crammed into there. We're sleeping in these, these hallways and we're in the same backstage rooms and we all get along. Actually. I, I, I really miss some of our crew members and stuff like that when we're, we're home from tour, just hanging out. But the last thing I want to do is be home from tour, having been like 12 people stuffed into a backstage room for months and then and then have a band also in my room right here. This is like my, my home studio. Also have like five band guys in while I'm home. So my interest in music production has sort of moved into like more on the the mixing side or um, or co-writing side and things like that, where I can primarily work by myself, not because I dislike the musicians I would potentially be working with, but just, you know, I need some balance in my life. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes you just get i don't say burned out it's like sometimes your ears get tired like i've oh, it's always felt when we like used to do festivals and it's like hey man you're on like one of these like death metal festivals and like after a while every band sounds the same so like you're going home and it's like i don't want to hear any death metal for like a week and you're just like i need something easier on the ears and you just want to just give yourself a break yeah that's that's a perfect analogy for sure so it's like some, some of your guest stars so i gotta wonder uh brandon richter from bleeding through Yes. Did he just play guitar on that song? Or I know he was also a drummer. He is also a drummer. Was he just guitar or or end drum yeah. or just one? Yeah, no, he uh, he did the guitar solo on that song. And uh, what's, what's interesting about that is um, Brandon and I met, you know, when he started playing Bleeding Through, Brandon the singer Bleeding Through and I have been friends for forever. Um, and then I hit up everybody that, that performed on the record was, was like a pre-existing friend of mine, you know? Um, and, and that that's like how the collaboration came in. It wasn't like, oh, I need to cross over with this fan base or that fan base. I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to like work with my friends. And I, and then I was just talking to Brandon, the singer bleeding through. And it's like, man, um, like I, I have one song that still needs a guitar solo. And I, I, I totally spaced and I have a deadline coming in like a week. And he's like, dude, uh, and I, I had just been hanging out with, with guitar player Brandon um, at their show and we became friends and everything. And I just was like, it, it, he was like, dude, why didn't you think to ask Brandon? I was like, I have no idea. It's like, it's, you know, it's one of those, just like the obvious answer was like right there in front of me. You know what I mean? So he came in and that was actually the very last piece to, to add to the record. And he came and he crushed it. He like, he had like one or two days notice and just turned it around and, and crushed it. So nice. Yeah. I saw, I saw your video. I saw the videos of you with the, with the bleeding through guys for their uh, 20th anniversary show. Like I oh, just yeah. missed it. I had like some project out here and I couldn't like get out of it to come out. Cause I love those guys. Yeah. It was a, it was a pretty cool moment. I mean, I, I know 
Brandon on a level where I could like read his body language. I could sense when he was on stage, it felt very emotional to be like, man, like our 20th, like it actually wasn't their 20th as a whole as the 20th for that one particular record. And, and, and just like, you know, to be a band that's not active all year long and then to play a room that size and have it be a sold out crowd and, and just tons of energy in that room. It, it, it was really cool to just watch. And then I got the fact that I got to do a part with them. I felt, I felt really honored. That was really great to see. And speaking of guest stars, I was really impressed to see like you, Ricky and Brooke, like just doing vocals on different songs and yeah, that's a, you guys were an interesting trifecta of singers that come from different backgrounds. So I was kind of very surprised to see those you three uh, work well together. I think I'm saying that correctly. No, you know, what's a funny thing is um, Ricky and, and uh, Brooke from impending doom, like are really good friends. And those guys are probably the most opposite because, um, with impending doom i mean their their lyrical themes are still heavily rooted in like relatively conservative uh, view of christianity and ricky's very very anti-religious and uh you know you take somebody like me it's like well yeah it's weird for ricky and i to be friends also but like that's even weirder because they're 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 so pushed to those ends of the spectrum and it's like well dude like they disagree on something that yeah that may be very fundamentally important to their lives but it's not the entirety of what you know develops the human experience and love and compassion and you know music and all these other things that are uh people from differing point of views can can really like come together on and so you know i, I think that if i were to say like a a, a worldview difference m makes it to where i can't be friends with somebody you know I, I would i would imagine that i i would have a very small window of friends in the music industry because there are so many different worldviews in the music industry agreed yeah, because sometimes it's like, yeah, you just, like, I've, you know, we all met people that are like, it's like, hey, man, I like to do this for fun. And they're just so, like, stone focused on, like, their beliefs that they can't put past, like, oh, wait, you're, I know you, like, you're my family, you're my friend, because I've had this in my own personal experiences where it's like, oh, this is my project. And my singer's growling on the record. And then my cousin's step, my cousin's father was like one of those seven day Adventists. So, I, it was like, this is the devil's music. I'm like, dude, it's me. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. And it was like a whole big, it turned into a whole big blow up when we were younger. You know, it's all better now, but I just remember stuff like that always kind of, you know, remind, you know, clicks around in there sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, um, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to equate music to like a traditional capitalism business, but like if I, if I ran, you know, just like a, a carpet cleaning business, right? And like, you know, I had employees and some of them had a different view than me, you know, but in the end, hey, like when it comes specifically to cleaning carpets, like we're all on the same page, like, you know what I mean? What's the problem there, right? You know what I mean? And so when it comes specifically to like, you know, let's just say songs where there's not a crossover of different beliefs, it's like the song is actually, the topic of this song is actually something we coincidentally don't differ on, then why not do a song together? You know what I mean? Obviously I'm not going to, align myself with all of all of uh ricky's views and, and likewise he wouldn't align himself with all of my views but there's definitely some uh some moments there where we can work on the same thing and be sincere about it cool cool when it comes to uh what's the part shoot god damn i spaced out for a second where is it sorry you're actually my first interview of the year i've kind of been so busy with other shit i kind of like <laughs> like i'm too busy running other parts of the company of of this website i don't have I was like, I kind of didn't have the bandwidth. And I was like, oh, this, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. 
I'll definitely do this because this was this well, excites me. So that's yeah. the beauty of modern editing is uh you know it's gonna it's gonna appear seamless. So oh you know? fuck yeah, I do with the editing too. So yeah, the yeah, problem yeah. is I gotta listen to my own voice. Yeah, it's funny no matter how long we've been like each of us in our own individual worlds have been doing our thing you know music um this kind of stuff i i still hear my voice on an album and it's still just like i have to i'm I'm, i don't know how to describe it but like i i acknowledge that when i hear my voice and hear other people's voice i'm like okay i i can acknowledge that maybe i do a better job on this part than this guy does right but i still don't like my voice it's like like I have this ideal voice in my head of like what I think a metal vocalist should sound like. And that's what I'm chasing after. And I don't believe that I'm, I am that thing. And I don't think I ever will. And I have to learn to accept that. Yeah. You, yeah. It's a weird kind of divorcing. It's like, Oh man, we did this record. It's like, great. You know, it's like, I don't expect you to like re-record Austrian death machine album one. Like here it is. Here's the remake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> here's the Austrian. Cause everybody gets, everything gets remade. So you technically you probably could get away with remaking new versions of some of these songs with your more mature voice so it'd be kind of funny to see you redo like to do that yeah i I, uh i have jokingly talked about this and and i might pull it off but there this would be the 16th anniversary of of austrian death machine which is normally like not a, a a year to celebrate but i thought for like this holiday time it could be funny to have like arnold's like sweet 16 you know like where he's like you know, because it gives a funny theme because you got to picture Arnold like is almost like this, like, I mean, Quinceanera would be even funnier, but that, that yes. you're already past, right? So, you know, but Arnold Arnold celebrating his sweet 16, you know, that, that could be a fun theme. That'd be trippy. It would at least be a fun fun thing for uh, Ed Repka as an artist because he's done an incredible job on all the album covers. Um, and and the, the original connection with him is that I, I grew up in that era where like you went to the record store and like you couldn't hear the album before you bought it. So you pick up an album and look at the cover and be like, this is probably going to be super heavy. Right. I remember picking up, I believe it was rust in peace from, uh, from Megadeth and, and looking at it and being like, I don't know what this band sounds like, but I bet you this is heavy. Cause look at this album cover, you know? And so uh, from a nostalgic standpoint, I was like, man, I, I really hope I get to work with Ed Repka someday in the back of my mind, that would be really cool. Right. And I finally do. So that's really an honor for me. What kind of notes do you give him for these kind of covers? Do you say I, or you say here's, you say here's the title, Run Wild, or do you have? No, I, I actually. Uh, so the first one was was a little bit more loose because I just said, you know, hey, I just want I want Arnold on the cover with, looking like, you know, he saved the day, but also destroyed the world, like you know, like in, in all those action movies where it's like, you know, they'll the the big joke is like, you know, they'll you got this detective in the action movie and he's tra- he's tracking down this guy who like, you know, robbed a bank or whatever. And he blows up like 12 buildings trying to catch this guy. And it's like, well, obviously you, you just spent more money catching this guy than, than this guy actually even stole. And I think that's kind of like the irony and, and hilariousness of some of those like early action movies. And uh, so I just said, you know, I want Arnold to look like he saved the day, but then like also, you know, ruin the whole city in the process. Right. And um, that was kind of the original album artwork. And then each one after that, I would give him like a little bit of a, a direction um and specifically with this one i said because it's called quad brutal i want the emphasis to be on his leg muscles um squad i want him to be whole, i sent him an olympic pose of of um like some of those like um it, it's like slightly clip arty things that people use for like weightlifting competitions where there's like the bodybuilder holding the entire world above his head um and i said i want this but i want it to be arnold and i want the i want the world to be like destroyed machines and old rusty weights you know and so Ed's like very talented at bringing to life these little loose concepts I sent him. 
So like, when do you work on the cover? Do you work on the, when, when does the cover become part of the mix? Is it like before you start recording or is that like the last piece of the puzzle for you? Um, for me, I, I usually like start getting out of like deadlines. It's like, uh Oh, uh, I'm, I'm going to start mixing soon. Oh, I, I better, I better get the album cover together, you know? And so that's usually about like when I, when I do it, but, uh, if I can do it earlier, I, I prefer because, um, for Azalea Dying, for Austin Dumption, for almost every record that, even if I've been a part of a friend's record helping produce, the record ends up being done and the label's like, oh, well, we can't release it because we don't have the artwork yet. You know, and it's like, that's always the thing that holds it back. So I try to be a little proactive about it. Should we expect an Austrian Death Machine tour or any shows this year? Uh, I just actually, interestingly enough, announced this morning, uh, this doesn't affect us necessarily, but a European, the first ever European tour for Austrian Death Machine. And now I'm, working with our agent holds for the uh, for the US version of that same tour. And while I've done a few Austrian Death Machine shows in the past, I've never really done a traditional tour. So um, I'm using the European tour I announced this morning as like a template of, of like what I'm trying to do. And then I'm gonna uh, apply that to the US, hopefully uh, this coming uh, fall more realistically, cause I'm trying to find gaps between the Asla Dying touring schedule. Yeah. I'm hopefully hopefully it happens and i'd love to catch this in new york or you know i'll hop on a plane and come to san diego and check it out san diego is not a terrible place to be but yeah i mean obviously new york being such an important city you know i i gotta get out there eventually with the lineup i guess is it gonna be the same lineup that was in the video that we've seen uh, yeah so those this is the first time where you know I've, I've done live shows and i've had guys come out with me but this is the first time where i've really had like a lineup and and actually those people also helped uh, put together the record, right? So like Brandon Short did all the drums on this record, Corey Walker, the other guitar player and I, we actually co-wrote some of the songs together and uh, he usually would come in and clean up some of my guitar playing because I'm uh, not the tightest guitar player all the time. And uh, and Mark McDonald's been playing guitar solos with me ever since. Uh, when Total Brutal came out, I think he did four of the guitar solos on that record as, a, as like a guest musician. And so when it came time to like find like who has the, the longest history of playing guitar solos for Austrian Death Machine, Mark is the obvious answer there. And he's sort of like unofficially been like the main guy along with me um, all these years. Cool, cool. Let's go talk about Arnie for a second. What's your most underrated Arnold movie? Uh, in terms of underrated, well, let me start with my favorite Arnold movie is Total Recall because I feel like it has the slightly comedic parts to it, but as a whole, also like that philosophical like questioning reality thing and, it, and it's very well written like let's just say arnold wasn't the actor the actual writing of that movie is incredible but i wouldn't say that that's like underrated because that was i was that was a relatively big blockbuster not not like terminator 2 level but it was it was a pretty pretty big one um but in terms of you know my favorite movies there i mean there's a reason some of these movies are successful the blockbusters are the are the best man i mean you know total recall is my personal favorite to Terminator 2, I think, is the most commercially successful, and it's the one that stands the test of time. Uh, in terms of, of deep cuts, I think that outside of the bodybuilding community, Pumping Iron is still, like, a uh, relatively unheard of movie, you know? So the within the bodybuilding community, there's tons of jokes around how ridiculous he says some things. Some things are, like, unrepeatable that he says in that movie, right? You know what I mean? So I'd, I think that's probably the ultimate deep cut. Yeah, it was fine for the time, but... Uh -uh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I... exactly. I will say like I don't know, I have a real soft spot for like Eraser. I really have a I have a soft spot for that movie. But yeah, yeah, it's like and I also have like this mastermind idea for a real Terminator three, you know, which basically turns everything into a big loop. 
because the way I just see like Terminator works, one and two work so well, and I feel like the third, I feel like it needs to be just looped back into itself. I think it should just be a continuous loop for it to like make sense for anybody. Well, if you, it, so this is what's very interesting about it is that the most recent Terminator, and I am having a brain fart on the, the exact name of it, um, Dark Fate. Dark Fate. So if you were to ask James Cameron, he his personal belief is that it goes Terminator, Terminator 2, and then Dark Fate. And that none of those other ones exist in the James Cameron like canon, I guess you'd call it. And I think what's interesting about that is that um, the ones in between were so poorly reviewed at times that the fan base sort of like tra- trailed off. And like by the time he did Dark Fate, he said, well, Dark Fate was... And, and in terms of like critical reviews, it was much better than the previous two, but but the fan base had like trailed off so much that that it didn't have enough momentum. So he said, well, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to do another one because there's not enough interest out there. But he would have kept going with that Terminator, Terminator 2, Dark Fate, and, and that storyline would have continued had there been enough interest. Yeah, Dude, that's a shame, though. But I got to say, some of the, if you were looking at some of the comic books they've done of those, like Dark Horse had some comic books back in like the 90s and early 2000s, and hell, even a Terminator versus Robocop comic. Those yeah. are those are actually really fun. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I mean, speaking of uh, comic books, like Ed Repka has that. If if there was ever going to be an Arnold-related comic book, I mean, Ed Repka is the perfect artist for that. His stuff is just like so iconic. I mean, you could see a piece of, of art and just know, you know, you his uh. If, if anybody ever looks this up, if you look up Ed Repka, and he's done almost exclusively like thrash metal bands for, you know, the last like 30 plus years. And, uh, and they all, they all look like they belong in comic books. I'll double check. Like, I know who you're talking about. I've seen his work. Like, yeah, you said Megadeth. Oh yeah. I was like, now I'm just like, what else has he done? My brain just kind of, I was like, oh yeah, I remember his Vic Rattleheads. I was like, that is pretty one of them. That's one. It's a very I- iconic cover. People think of metal covers and it's colorful too. And that's to me like, like I love like the great covers are great and all, but like covers like this one and his other ones, it's like color catches your eye. You're like, oh okay, like you've you've picked great cover design, even though it's all paintings. They're just they're just oh, if you're like thumbing through records or looking at you're just scrolling through covers and it's like oh wait a minute, the colors definitely catch your eye. It's very eye catching. Is that the right yeah, word? I know. I know he did uh, one of the municipal waste album covers, and that to me is so fitting because they're like that retro thrash throwback kind of thing. And so, I, um, whenever he does like a newer band's album cover, I'm like, oh, okay, this band is gonna is gonna appeal to my nostalgic, like 13, 14 year old self, you know? Because I I feel like people don't work with him unless they really are like sort of following those like thrash metal roots and uh, you know just keeping that cool theme going. I get you on that. So we got this record getting ready to drop, and now you have you have like uh, you have SLA dying also later on this year. I'm sure, like you said, touring schedules and everything. Uh, is it hard to like juggle two bands now? Now that you're back in full force with both. Well, so it is, but it it doesn't become stressful because I don't like need to do the Austrian Death Machine stuff to to make a living per se. I I, I do it when I want to do it, and it, it's going to be fun. And so um, I don't have like force anything to work out. It's not like I get this uh, requirement from the record label saying, if, unless you, you know, two or hundred days a year, we're going to drop the band or something like that. You know, I, uh, I've, I've let them know and everybody that I've worked with, I said, um, you know, my goal is to do, uh, you know, a couple of weeks in Europe, a couple of weeks in the U S and then 
feel that out and see what happens in the aftermath of that. If, if there's momentum going and, and there's more interest, like let's, let's book more, but, uh, as you know, for practical reasons is always going to remain the priority. And, and it, from a passion standpoint, you know, it's like, I love having this, this outlet with Austrian death machine, but, um, with the Aslo dying stuff, it's, it's truly this, uh, unique passion I've had ever since I was like 19 years old. <laughs> well, we are doing an Aslo dying tour in July into August. And we definitely are going to be in, in New York. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, I'm guessing Monday or Tuesday, that's a pro- that'll probably get announced. Yeah, it's actually, it was supposed to be announced this week, but we had, speaking of art, I know we talked about this earlier, artwork is always the holdup. So we were just waiting on some artwork issues. A few more, I just want to like get to you and before I let you have the rest of your night back. I really appreciate your time, man. It's been very, you've been very fun. You've been very fun to like chat with about all this stuff, man. And I appreciate, I, I appreciate it. So are we going to say uh, Perithian, is that? pretty much put to bed or is there a possibility for that to come back at some point well i'm i'm interested to do the perithian stuff the hard part is just that stuff is a lot harder to write than anything else because to write music that's really dark and fairly technical uh is 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 just something that's like it's, it's hard to describe but having like a strong sense of melody as an example makes makes writing a song so much easier than if you're trying to keep things like dark and, and even slightly atmospheric at times. Um, I have a hard time writing that stuff. And so I have to collaborate with other musicians to do that. And I've actually started working on some songs there, but trying to not like stress myself out in the process. Cause I know, again, it's like, I do that strictly for the passion and love for it. I'm not um, trying to make, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't need to like do that for my personal income. So long story short, I'm working on it. It's just taking a long time to come together. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, if you ever need another drummer, give me a call. <laughs> if you can play that, that's that. I, 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 I got to stretch. I got to stretch, and you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm I keep the cardio going all the time, so I know I have the endurance up for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and big uh, differentiator with uh, Perithian too is that I I don't I, I will add guitarists here and there, but I I want most of the guitar playing to come from a different guitar player, so it sounds distinctly different than anything that I would normally put together. Cool. Now, for I guess uh, onto writing, do you uh, are you one of those guys that like writes all the time? Like I'm writing on the road, I'm right at home, or it's like they're just I'm taking off. I'm not writing anything for like a month, and then just oh, I got an idea. Yeah, it's funny because I I'm one of those kind of people where I primarily pick up a guitar for the purpose of songwriting. Um, not like a normal guitar player that sits and practices like for a couple hours every day, which of course would make me a better player. But I I think almost strictly in terms of songwriting when I when I think of the guitar so i'll go like an entire month where i won't even touch my guitar because i'm just so busy with whatever's going on in life and then i'll start like thinking this idea or humming this i'll be driving and i'll be humming to myself like this guitar riff and that's usually how the song starts and when i finally do pick up my guitar say i haven't touched it in a month i'll pick it up and write an entire song in one night and and my wife always talks about as an example she's like it blows my mind because you put together this extraordinarily complex song that's like really well thought through, but you wrote the whole thing in your head while you were driving and you, you know, you basically just translated what was in your head onto the guitar when you got home, you know, from, from running your errands or whatever. And I say, I, I know it sounds bizarre, but that's how I ha- I have to do it. I have to wait until the idea is in here and then somehow like try to translate that. Or I've made myself funny voice notes where I'm like, you know, like whatever into my phone, it's the funniest thing you've ever heard. And then I'll show my wife when I'm done and she'll be like, wow, that's crazy. Cause that's exactly what that song is. Just like really well produced. <laughs> Speaking of your wife, Danny, she did a wonderful job 
on what song was that one again? Well, she actually did, did four, but she did the single that you you probably have With already the video. Heard. Yeah, I've heard yeah. the whole record. I've heard the whole record, but I'm just looking at the video, and I was like, oh, when I was reading the notes from, I was reading the notes, and I was like, Danny, I was like, is this like his brother? Because like I didn't think, I was like, is it a cousin? I didn't, I didn't like yep. click. I forgot that you you remarried. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought that yeah, was a fun I, thing. She did a great job. Yeah, Danny being a guy, potentially being a guy's name, also, I, I, that totally makes sense. But yeah, she. Uh, the destroy the machines is the video that came out like the or the early one and, and um i think that one was really interesting to me because it's like so uh, the song is so aggressive that it's like the perfect introduction because it's like you have this well of course i'm biased he's my wife but you have this very beautiful woman but this like menacing voice and it's like well i, I want it i want like her to be featured on one of the heaviest songs on the album so people like they're not they're not they're not thinking to myself like oh i just had her on there because she's really pretty no i had her on there because because like her voice is incredible you know what i mean so I think she did an incredible job. Does she does she have another band or she just was just a thing she did for you? So she's actually in the process of putting together her debut EP right now. Um and uh, I guess I guess it's okay for me to announce that I, I yeah, I'm producing it. I'm 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 writing largely writing most of it. Um and uh it's you know, like with any debut, she doesn't have like a deadline because it's it's not like the follow-up and there's no pressure from the label. So she's gonna release it as soon as she feels really confident in it. But I can tell you that uh that's like that's like a force to be reckoned with when when she's ready to go. Great, I look forward to hearing that at some point. <laughs> I guess we we'll, we may be talking again in the future. <laughs> yeah. Shoot, man. Well, yeah. Pretty much. I don't have much. I don't really have anything really left, man. I've <laughs> I've got it zapped out, man. It's like it's just fun. I just like to just like I'm happy to see you being happy. Like, yeah, life has been interesting for everybody, and I gotta say, like, I really appreciate the fact that you've done a lot of the positivity you've done in the last bunch of years outside of music, I really appreciate the mental health things you've done. And I thought like that I heart thing, little documentary I saw it and like this other stuff you've done. I really thought that that was very, uh, I thought that was very, to me, it felt very genuine. And uh, I was very happy to see that because I'm a person that believes, Hey man, everybody gets second chances and whatnot. And you, you know, you, everything happened, whatever happened, happened, but you know, like you get it once it's over, you should be allowed to grow and continue. And I'm glad that you're back musically and I'm glad that you, you grew and you know, you've turned everything like, Hey, I'm a black dude, dude. I've seen people get in trouble for shit and they're done for life. And it's like, I like to see people like, I believe in forgiveness and I believe in second chances. And I think you've, to me, I think you've earned one and I'm very, I'm just, I'm just a big support of what you do, man. I'm very happy for you. Thanks, man. I, I, you know, I know there's like differing opinions out there. And one of the things I had to come to grips with is that some people will believe that, you know, second chance for people that are sincere should be a possibility and other people won't. And I can't convince people whether or not I deserve a second chance, but I could do the most that I have with that second chance regardless. Right. So uh, for even the people that don't think I should be able to play music again or have a second chance, it's like, well, I do. I do have a second chance. I'm going to do the best I can with it. And a lot of the the work that I've done from like a, the charity side is largely from my gratitude. It's like, man, I, I, when I was released, I had family support. I had, you know, friends and I, and I had um, a, a good work ethic that had been pre-established prior to being incarcerated. And so I knew what it was like to like get back in the world and to work hard and have that support system. But a lot of people didn't. And so the, the entire, I, I, I do this uh, nonprofit called reintegration 
and it's it's for helping people that have been previously incarcerated or coming out of addiction treatment in both those situations it's like well look whether society believes you should have a second chance or not you do you're out in society you're going to be somebody's neighbor you know and since you're going to be somebody's neighbor let, let us provide resources so that you can be the best version of you know somebody's neighbor as possible and um it's from my gratitude of what i've been given that i try to like make sure these guys usually guys have like similar resources that's the way the world should be like you know we should help it's like i feel like you like I, I went to norway and i talked to them about their their systems and it's like oh we don't want you to come back we want you to get better and not come back here again and like that's very good and i think it's a very i wish we had that more i wish we had that more ethic of we wish we had more of that care to hey sometimes people need more help some people are blessed to be able to some people just struggle harder and if you help people when they need it the most they won't return to old habits so i think it's i think it's very it just yeah it's just a good thing man i don't know how to really word it correctly but you know what i'm saying it's the, Nor the norway thing you mentioned is extremely interesting because they're like the center of the world's let's say case study or i don't know what the proper word is about this because norway was the first country to really like strictly focus on rehabilitation rather than punishment and while obviously for the safety of society people need to be removed from society sometimes especially if they're very they've gone down a really dark path and and there's it takes a lot of time to get their mind like back into a, a reasonable place but their their goal is that this person eventually is going to get out even if it's 30 years from now they're eventually going to get out so we need to make sure that they're in a good place when they get out and it's the the redemptive mindset behind that is is now been turned into what they call um let's see there's a contrast between the criminal justice system and the restorative justice system and we in the america for the most part have had our incarceration has come from what they believe is criminal justice system and it's punish 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 and then you know we have the greatest recidivism rates in the world of people going back to prison and it's like well you know whether you emotionally feel like punishment is necessary or not it's been proven that it doesn't really help you know, uh, but the restorative uh, justice of actually focusing on like making amends where possible and addressing the character defaults that got a person into that place. It's that's like really inspiring to me because I think that Norway's recidivism rate, you know, or people going back to prison after being released is is like not even I don't know, I want to say like less than a tenth of what ours is or something. You know, I, I could have the statistics wrong, but it's at least. You know, we'll say at very, at very least, like it's double uh, in, a, in a positive way what ours is. Yeah. I, and I was blown away there. I went there for like one of the festivals and I was like, well, yeah, and he kind of took us around, did a little tour guide thing with us. And I was talking to him about like those, some of those musicians over there, like Faust and all those guys. And it was like, oh, and they told me about him. And I was like, damn, that's like over here. He'd be like more of a pariah. And I was like, okay. It's like, yeah, 21 years is it's like that's all you get at, at the max but you can always re-up they'll always re-up you but it was just wow like you know and, and he goes around doing the same kind of stuff too i was like he was very you know like hey i was stupid i did something you know he you know i really find that really positive i was like yeah just like find like i like to find the positivity in all these metalheads man and it's like you know it's like we're metal people always have a bad stigma on us anyway and it's nice to see for whatever reasons, people able to like show you like, you know, foundations like yours. What's the name of your foundation again? Uh, it's called Reintegration. There was an existing nonprofit organization called Vantage Point. It's, it's out here in San Diego that helped 
people with, I guess we'll call like traditional disabilities, like they're more uh, obvious, like uh, if a person was blind or um, like couldn't walk within a, permanently in a wheelchair or something like that, it's helping them get meaningful employment. And we talked to the lady who was running that organization and we said, um, you know, hey, there are some people that come out of addiction treatment, as an example, that still have uh, mental health crossover issues, or even just the addiction itself to still be worked through. And at least temporarily, you know, that's a temporary disability and um, people coming out of post-incarceration, whether it be PTSD or just the anxiety of integrating back in regular society. These are some very important and often overlooked, whether it's temporary permanent disabilities, like how how can we partner together and help get them resources? And, and um, so what the cool part about that is because we partnered with an existing nonprofit, I don't have to go out there and like try to you know, fundraise and be, please give me your money. Like, I don't care at all about, I'm, I don't create awareness of it to like tell people I want their money or fundraising. I'm creating awareness because I want people that have been through these circumstances to know like there are great resources for them. And, if, you know, somebody like me who was released to have a, a, a family and, and, and parents and a brother and, and all kinds of people that were there to help me, that's the type of support the average person needs in order to like truly make a change in their life. And so if you don't have that, if people that out there that don't have this, that's a lot of people that have been incarcerated that um, organizations like mine, and uh, if not mine, um, are, are there and they and you know, we definitely want to help however we can. Yeah, I will reach out to your PR and get all this information so I can have it for the description because to me that's very important. This kind of things like that are extremely important in this world. Yeah, but anyway, I just want to, well, I think, you know, think that we this is a good place to wrap it up man that's like i'm enjoying this i could keep doing this for like another hour with you because this is just you know this is great man this is fun Uh, i'm glad you're getting back to the interviews for the year the 2024 is off to a start and you had to get the ball rolling with something and i'm glad to be the guy that that uh you know you gave it a shot with hey man like i said like like i said your music just for me personally it's like it just something me and my son bonded over. It's like I liked it already, and he thought it was he he enjoyed it. He loved the movies too, so it was something like me and my son were able to like really enjoy together. And I was like, oh yeah, and I got a photo somewhere, like he's like eight years old, and we just like and we met you, and you were more clean cut. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. You know, sure. it's like it's really nice to like. Oh yeah, now he's twenty one, and he's like, oh snap, you're talking to him. <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, I'm glad your son can can uh, have some history with music together too. That's cool. Yeah, we just wish he played more music, but that's my fault for like dropping the ball on that part. But it's not too <laughs> <Sorry>. late. <laughs> anyway, Tim, it's been a pleasure, man. Quad Brutal comes out fr- uh, this Friday, February 23rd on uh, Napalm. Napalm Records now. Crazy. How's Napalm treating you? Good. You know, very coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, is the fact that they're an Austrian based label. So I feel like. You know Arnold being originally Austrian, of course, like it's just like a perfect fit. Awesome, <laughs> good man. They're a good label too. We we do a lot of stuff with those guys and gals. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. man, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, man. Thank you very much for your time. It's been it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Have a good night.